Thank you. Okay. Um, tonight we want to continue on in our study of uh, Romans chapter 8. And um, the verses we are going to look at tonight are a little bit interesting and somewhat uh, of a uh, challenge in some ways to understand and yet are very insightful. Um, it reminds me a little bit when I uh, started first grade. At that time, I did not have uh, glasses. I did not have spectacles. I did not have corrective lenses. And I had lived my first six years of life without them. And I went to a very simple school that had several classes in one room. And they brought, at one point, a nurse in from the area. And she checked all of us children to make certain that we were basically okay. And as, as she got to me, uh, you know, I got five fingers, five toes, or ten fingers, ten toes. And um, I, I was fine until she checked my eyes. And then she said, oh, you must go to the eye doctor. And so at six years of age, I had my first set of glasses. But when I came back to the schoolroom, I had always known that there was a chalkboard at the front. But I didn't realize that the teacher had been writing on it. Because I didn't have the right glasses. And I always remember thinking, wow. Now, in this portion of Scripture, Paul is going to attach some very interesting thoughts. He's going to link suffering with glory. And both of them he's going to take into producing hope. Isn't that an amazing concept? Suffering and glory together lead us to hope. And uh, as I was looking at it, I thought, wow, this is something. Now, of course, when we go to verse 18, we, er, we must realize that it does not just simply pop up out of nowhere. It has a, an introduction. It has something leading it in. And the verses just prior to that, verses 16 and 17 say, The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit, that we are the children of God. So whatever else this is about, this is going to tell us, it's going to demonstrate to us, it is going to show how God the Holy Spirit witnesses to us or shows us that we are children of God. And then it goes on and says, and if children, then heirs, meaning we inherit from God. It says heirs of God, and we've talked previous weeks about the idea that we as Christians, our portion is God himself. Actually, if you're here tonight and you take a millisecond look in your soul and you cannot identify God, you really probably have not yet found him. I don't mean that to be critical but we read last week, it says, and those in whom the Spirit of God dwells or lives or has his abode, they belong to God. Those in whom he is not, do not. And uh, anyway, 
you go there, but then it goes on. It says, so we have our heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. So in verse 17, he brings together these two ideas that as we have God living in us, we are God's children. We are the heirs of God. We are the co-heirs of Christ. In other words, remember those verses he said he sends his spirit into our heart whereby it cries out, Abba, Father. And our hearts in return cry out, Abba, Father. God owns us as his children. We claim God as our Father. And we are adopted into his family. So out of that verse 17, he then goes in verse 18. And 18 gives us kind of a summary of what he thinks about this. He says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed for us. So he talks about what we have now, he puts it in a time frame, and that which is to come. Suffering, glory, now, future. Okay? And as we looked at that, then he is going to go on, and I think in the next verses, it seems to me, he comes and he's going to give us the why it's like this, what this really means, and why and how we can tell and what we are going to do in working with this. And in it, he re, if you want to look for some type of a kind of repeating pattern to see what he's explaining, like in verse 19, the phrase begins for, and verse 24, so he gives reasons, verse 22, for again, and then in verse 24, he repeats this again, and in verse 25, he repeats it. So what he's doing is again and again, he's coming and defending or explaining to us why suffering and glory, and the end he comes, lead to hope. Isn't that an interesting thing? Now, how many, should we just take a quick vote? How many like glory more than suffering? Glory more than suffering? For a Swiss group, this is very demonstrative. <laughs> Glory more than suffering? Yes, I think it's true. But what he's saying is you have to have both. And one leads us to the other. Now look what he says, okay? They, what is this all about? He says, for creation, in verse 19, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. So that's what he's all about. He says, now, even creation is longing for this moment which he's going to describe to us, the revealing of the sons of God. Now, that's not when we are born again. That's not when God forgives us and comes in. He's talking about a moment when before all, whether it's the spiritual world, the physical world, the kingdom of God, the children of God are going to be revealed. Ooh, that's exciting stuff, isn't it? And he says, for this creation eagerly longs for this. When you went out this morning, did you kind of hear creation? As he goes on a bit, he's going to say, and even creation will groan. Sometimes I met, as I was studying and thinking about these verses, I wonder some of the things we see in our world today and we see in our creation, if it isn't creation groaning, and we think it's groaning because of this or that, but is it really groaning because the revealing of the sons of God needs to happen? 
And it's not maybe God is putting an intensity in that part that we would begin to see the importance of the revealing of the sons of God. And so he says, look at that. He says they, they reveal, they're wanting that. And, you know, what does it mean, the revealing of the sons of God? Well, the Bible talks a lot about this idea. Maybe some of the places where it begins to give us a window or a picture or a doorway or maybe even a bridge into that idea. One would be when Jesus is crucified, dies on the cross, rises from the dead, and then afterwards he comes, remember in John chapter 20, he will come and see his disciples. That's the moment when he says, you know, do you have some fish? And he eats the fish after he's resurrected. He then will say to them, put your finger into my hand, put your hand into my side. Now, twice he comes, first time Thomas isn't there, and the second time he comes, and in both verses there, about verses 19, and then again in verse 23, where it says, and the windows were shut, and the second time it says, the windows were shut, and they were locked, and the doors were locked. Now, I don't know about you, have you ever tried to walk through a door that was shut? I was going to point to this, but actually that's not from that. But I did have a welt on my head at one time because I tried to walk into a wall. I walked into a wall without trying, actually, but I did it. You see, Jesus, he could eat fish. He had a body that you could see the wounds. You could literally put your hand into the side. And yet it was a body that could go through and didn't need a door. It didn't need a window. To enter. So all of a sudden, wait a minute. When we start talking about eternity and living in the very presence of God, it's different, isn't it? It's not just simply this life that we live here going on in a better way. No, 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 no. It is totally different. Another opportunity in the scriptures that tells us a little bit about that is when Jesus is transformed on the mountain. You know, he goes up and all of a sudden they see his physical body just turn into like a, a, a sun. And it glows so white. They say it's like it's been bleached white dozens of times. No way to describe it. And then suddenly appears Moses. And then the prophet Elijah. And Moses, we know, died because it says, and he died and God buried him. And yet in eternity, he's there talking. And he appears. And Elijah, well, remember how he went to heaven? That was a cool ride. God sent a chariot and it came and picked him up and went, and he's there. Ultimately, it's the only two ways that we move from here to eternity. We die and we move. Or God comes and gets us and takes us. And so we get a glimpse with Jesus, we get a glimpse with these two that this eternity is real. And there is a, a, this revealing of the sons of God in this sense. It, it's that truth that, that creation is waiting for it. Now, if we look further, then it goes on in verse 21 and 20 first it says, and creation was subjected to this frustration, or the word there literally means that it was pressed down, it no longer could be nor accomplish that which it was created to be. 
And if you read through that and you follow that, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, first time that the word hope comes in, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage through the corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What's he saying? He's saying creation is in bondage. And the only place we find that is if we go back to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. That records when Adam and Eve sinned. And God comes. And then God judges evil and tells evil that there will be coming one from this woman who will crush the head of evil. The first prophecy that we know about the coming of Jesus. And then part of that curse, of course, is, as you read on, you'll find that part of it is what we experience tonight. He says, if you work, you're going to sweat. But in verse 17, he says, and the earth will be cursed, and it will bear thorns and thistles, and not produce that which it should, because of the sin. But he says here, but earth yearns, for the revealing of the sons of God. At that point, when things begin to go to this eternal reality. Now, what does it look like in that? Because he says that's also, we're subjected in hope that creation will be set free. Now, I don't know how it went in creation. We're not told but can you imagine when God created the heavens and God created the earth and then God caused plants and animals and a variety of things as he created them. And then there came that day when he took a bit of earth and he formed it together in the form of Adam. And he breathed into Adam a breath of life. I don't know if trees could cheer, but I think if trees could have cheered at that moment, they probably would have gone, hallelujah, look at this. Look what God has made. And then we have the fall. Wow. So what is this all about? It says they're yearning for, they're groaning together as with pains of childbirth until now, which takes us back again to the whole thing in the, the judgment of evil. Remember, that's one thing he said to Eve, and when you bear a child, there will be this pain. Now, I don't want to take a poll of the mothers tonight, but I'm guessing that's still there. He takes us back again and again to this sinfall. And then he says in that it is groaning inwardly and we desire that, that the eagerly waiting for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, you think, well, what does he mean by all of this? And of course, in Corinthians, the second book of Corinthians, actually chapter 5, Listen to what he reads, what he re writes there. But this we know, that the tent, this body, our earthly home, when it is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house that is not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, for this tent we groan. Same words. He's saying, we want that, which God is preparing for us. Or in 1 Corinthians, at the end of that book, he says the same thing. I tell you, brothers, flood and flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God, 
nor does the perishable inherit imperishable. Behold, I tell you, it's a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we will be changed in a moment. And so what he's saying is, we are joint heirs with Christ. And just as God has adopted us into his body, there is coming an eternal time when this body that we have will now become a resurrected body. Wow. And life will be amazing. And he says, therefore they yearn, they groan, they, they look forward to this. Now, um, in it, though, then he goes on and comes to the, his last major point where he's taken suffering and hope. And he brings those two together. And he, and he says, but hope, that, excuse me, suffering and glory, and they produce hope. Look at what he says about hope. Now, in this hope, we were saved. You see, where he then had just related back to God actually put this bondage on earth because of sin. And then we are going to see that broken at the point of Jesus' return. Now, I don't know if that goes into some of the different parts of the book of Revelation. There are different ideas about that. But what we do know is this, is that God does not leave us and God will then put our bodies into this resurrected body form for eternity. That's an amazing truth. The other day I was listening to a, a German song and um, it's just called Ewigkeit, Eternity. And as it begins, it says something like this. It says, in my deepest soul there is a yearning for a place where there is peace. And it says, everything that I see with my eyes, I see it, but I don't understand why. And then it goes on and it says something like, but in the avikite or the eternity is my home. I know it because you have put it in my heart. And I know it's true. And in this, if we look at that, he says, okay, this is going to lead us and that should give us hope. I, I did actually ask you last week if you could write quickly a definition of hope. One of you sent something. Thank you very, very much. That was great, actually. And then others I asked in a Bible study on Wednesday night if they could define hope, and they actually all did. And actually, each one has described different things. But the different things that I found with hope is that pretty much the word to trust, to expect, to have anticipation for. Actually, in the lexicon, it would say, particularly in older languages, it really meant that word trust. Not only did you wish for something, not, but you expected it with the idea it was going to happen. Uh, someone wrote and said, actually, hope for me was when I was in a very difficult situation, a person promised to come. Found that a very interesting concept, is hope was not just simply a, an idea, it was a person. And also, actually, I had a person yesterday just send me an article that uh, medical research is being done now at um, the 
part that hope has in a healing process. Oh, that's very interesting that people are discussing it. Of course, anyway, hope. Now, the Bible does help us in that. I think one of the greatest examples of hope that I read in the Bible is the situation that happens with Daniel's three friends in Daniel chapter 3. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember his friends? And their situation is that the king, Nebuchadnezzar, has actually created this idol that he wants them to worship. And the nation is falling down as he blows his trumpet, and these three men stand up. And it's reported, and he comes to them, he says, one more opportunity if you fall down and worship. That is fine. If you do not fall down and worship when we blow the trumpet, I will put this... Remember the fiery furnace? You probably saw it in a Sunday school or a, as you were a kid, if you went to church at that point in life. There was probably some depiction of it. Anyway, if you read the account as you're maybe drinking tea tonight or coffee before you sleep, you could look and read that uh, chapter 3, and you will find it says there that the people, the men, answered the king, and they said, King, we will not bow down. Because we believe in the God of heaven, not your idol. And they say, we believe that our God is able to deliver us, but then this is where hope comes. He said, but even if he chooses not to, we will not bow. Isn't that amazing? You see, hope is not just this, put all the little pieces and it's going to turn out wonderful. Hope is in That if he does this, yes. And if he does this, yes. But the amazing part of the story is, of course, they say when they bind them, they take them up to throw them in the furnace. They said even the men who took them and pushed them into the furnace, several of them were burned so badly they died. The fire was hot. And then the king comes and he looks in in a few moments in amazing words. He says, didn't we put in three men? And he says, but I see four. And actually, in the original, it says, and the fourth looks like the Son of God. See, hope in the Bible is a concept. It's a truth. But hope also becomes a person in whom we can really trust and see him work. Um, I think one of the verses that I find to be the most helpful in this is Colossians. Look what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Glory, hope together. And tonight I would just ask you, when you think about your own life, when you think about what's happening, where you're going, what's going to happen with you, do you have hope? Because this is what he's actually asking. He's saying, there is this hope of God in us. And this eternity to which we are going is real. And he says that, he said in those verses before, we are heirs of God. We receive him. But also we are heirs with Christ. He takes us to be with him. In just a few minutes, we're going to celebrate communion. And Paul in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as he describes it, he says, Every time you do this, you declare 
that you believe that Jesus died, that he rose from the dead, and you believe he's coming back. What reason is he coming back? This hope to take you and me, to be with him forever. And uh, this is an amazing idea. You know, so you have that which is coming to us, and then at the same time, um, we have that hope of Jesus in us. He is the Father, is our Abba, our Father. The Holy Spirit dwells within us, so the whole Trinity is involved in us. And then at the same time, it says like in, in Hebrews chapter 6, let me just read these verses to you. It says in verse 18 that there are two unchangeable things. It's talking about God has promised and then God has sworn by his own name, so two in, unchangeable things. And this is going to be true. He said he set before us this hope that we have a steadfast and sure anchor of the soul that enters into the very throne of God. So for the future, if you're wondering, well, how's it going to work? Well, what he's saying is, well, Jesus has come from eternity, and Jesus has gone back to eternity, and then Jesus is giving us what he calls hope. It's like, a, it's like you hang on to the rope, and he has anchored that in eternity. So God is in us. God is supporting us. And if you look at some of the Old Testament, uh, all of you memorize Jeremiah 29, 11, isn't it? God says, and I have plans for you that include purpose and hope and a future. And of course, Isaiah says in chapter 40, verse 31, they that hope upon the Lord, they that trust, they that wait upon God. He says, they renew their strength. They rise up with wings as eagles. They run and not be weary. They walk and not faint. Amazing truth. The hope of God. You see, because hope is a person. Jesus Christ. Remember what he says in John chapter 14. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house or in my Father's dwelling place, there are many rooms. If it was not so, I would have told you, and if I go, I prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again to take you to be with me. So you know the way. And then, of course, one of the disciples then said, well, Lord, we don't even know where you're going. How do we know how to get there? To which Jesus answered, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Paul is saying, we are joint heirs with Christ. We suffer with him. We are glorified with him. That's part of the eternal truth. But in that, he's saying very simply to us, that is our hope. It's real. Isn't it amazing and good? That God gives us hope. And this hope is God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I, we're going to, let me pray, and then we'll just have communion together here in a moment. Lord Jesus, we thank you for each person who's here this evening. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Lord, there are some ways which we find it incredibly difficult to know how to hold that tension and yet reality between the struggles of life and the hope of God within us. 
And Lord, we know that the thing that Paul is saying, that which helps us understand the struggles are not the end, is to realize that there is coming a day when we, the children of God, will be revealed in this relationship with you that eternity is true and we walk with you there. That it's not just simply living these years and then passing in peace, but Lord, it is coming with you into all that you have prepared for us. And I commit that to you and thank you for your goodness and grace. And I pray for each person's here. May we experience the reality of the hope of Christ within us. In Jesus' name, amen. I think as they bring up the elements for communion, what, the way we will do communion this evening is um, we'll have the bread and the cup here. And then if you can...